This is episode 26 of the Vinyl Detroit podcast. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of the Vinyl Detroit Podcast. In this episode, which is part one of my two-part discussion with Craig Badini of Pascal, we speak in depth about his band's 2008 debut LP, I Was Raised on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Laura on the Grand Magistery. Craig was a wonderful guest, a great storyteller, and an excellent musician. So rather than me talk anymore, I'd like to just get right into part one of my two-part discussion with Craig Badini of Pascal. Got deep dark circles round her eyes, and her nosy bones peek right through her clothes. The light is closed. She shows to think she's only Take a good look at you now 
Thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Vinyl Detroit podcast. I am beyond excited to welcome today's guest, Craig Bedini from Pascal and Ashavita and a whole bunch of other acts. Craig, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thank you for uh, pulling me out of obscurity. <laughs> <laughs> no, you weren't obscure to me. Maybe, <laughs> maybe just to somebody else, but not to me. <laughs> Um, Craig was very, very gracious in speaking to me today. We're going to uh, spend most of our time talking about uh, his his full length album on uh, Le Grand Magistery, uh, but we're, we may dip into some of the other projects depending how things go. So, you know, I guess for those of of the listeners here who maybe aren't as familiar with your work, um, maybe if you could just kind of start out at the beginning and maybe tell me a little bit about your your interest in music and kind of where that started. Um, yeah, it starts really young, actually. I, I remember, um, it's funny, I, I just had a, a little memory from when I was really, really young. I'm, and I'm young, I'm going like five or six. <clears throat> I, I was raised in the city of Detroit in a very um, Eastern European neighborhood. And it was very kind of Catholic. And, you know, like everybody was in some ways the same. Everybody kind of came from a similar background, very, very blue collar, if not under blue collar, whatever that would be. Um, and we all went to uh, church and, and the same, you know, uh, Catholic schools and, and things like that. And uh, so, you know, my first taste of music came from kind of, two different sources simultaneously. I have a brother who is um, a really interesting character in Detroit music scene as well, but almost like a generation before me. I didn't was, know that, by the way. Yeah, he was in this band called the Cadillac Kids. Matter, oh. matter of fact, it's pretty interesting. When the, um, 
when uh, the Ashavita space rock um, compilation was coming out on Third Man, he was having his own little uh, compilation of like early or late 70s, early 80s, Detroit punk, no wave, whatever wow. stuff coming out on some other label. And I just remember we were both like, oh, this is awesome. This is happening to both of us at the same time. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> yeah, but in total, you know, completely different eras. You know, right. so I have a brother who's like, you know, 18 years older than me, you know, wow. who I'm really, really close with. So yeah. he he was he was kind of like a father figure to me, um, but also like a musical uh, mentor. Um, and and then I, I had like church stuff, which was very um, traditional Catholic music. And I, all I remember was my very first kind of, you know, like musical memory is I remember thinking when I was really, really young and I feel I was in a single digit age. I thought if I could sing the Lord's prayer, you know, our <laughs> father who art in heaven, that one, uh, that would be a really good single. And that would be like my, that that's how I established myself as like a, you know, as a pop, stuff that's like the then, funniest story ever and it's a weird one but i, I really <laughs> truly kind of thought that might happen um i and you know i i had a very growing up and then with my brother who's so much older than me he would have all these amazing musicians in our basement and i remember i had one of those like rocking horses down there and like his band would practice and I would just be on that freaking rocking horse the entire practice. Just like rocking on the horse <laughs> while, while they play the whole time. And I remember talking to like kids in my class and we, we you know, we all grew up relatively poor in, in this part of Detroit that we grew up in. And um, so none of us had a lot. And so I feel like that kind of like breeds certain kind of like lofty dreams sometimes. Yep. And I remember thinking like, my brother's in a band. That means he's going to be famous. That means we're going to get out of this, you know, difficult situation we're in. We're all going to be living in a mansion because my brother is definitely going to be a famous musician. Wow. So I had all these weird religious kind of, um, you know, delusions as well I've I had like this weird like oh if you're in a band you 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 know it's definitely going to pull you into some like comfortable world delusion you know wow. so I, I had both those things going on and I, I know I was, I was under 10 whatever the age is it's between five to nine or something so that that's my earliest thought and I I really kind of from I, I never wanted to be a like an architect or a doctor or anything like that. I really thought like I, I'd be a big pop star with uh, singing the Lord's prayer. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a hit. I mean, I think it's been on the charts for what, like 2000 years, maybe. Yeah. But whoever came out with it as a debut single, so that, that's <laughs> right. what I was thinking would happen. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So I guess kind of, kind of going off of the, uh, that story, I, I guess I'd like to kind of get back to see, you hit on something that I think is, is important in, in terms of musicians and artists that, that time in your life that like, I don't know, seven to 15, I think is where a lot of that gets mm -hmm. cemented either consciously or subconsciously. Do you recall 
what, you know, what you were listening to. And, and I, and I, and I can, I can understand what you're saying in terms of, you know, the blue clock, oh, excuse me, blue collar, less than blue collar upbringing. And, you know, you may not have had a lot of access to music, but obviously we had the radio here and the, you know, what was playing, but. Oh yeah. Do you remember what, what was maybe playing around the house, whether it be on the radio, yeah. the turntable, cassette? No, I, yeah. Yeah. I was actually super lucky. So um, my, you know, both my parents, they're, you know, I grew up with kind of like those older parents. Mm -hmm. I I was the sixth, you know, kid out of six. Oh, so um, all my older siblings, like my oldest sibling could almost be my mom, you know, that, wow. that there is a big, big age gap. I, I was kind of like either a mistake or a very long, you know, planned out child. But um <laughs> But yeah, so, you know, I had all these older siblings that were really into music. And then I had parents who were, who were into music. And my dad was really into, um, you know, he was born in, in the early 30s. Wow. Was, he, he was like really old. Wow. <laughs> but um, it was cool growing up with him in a way because he was really a deep fan of like big band music. And so driving around with him was always kind of like an education on, on, on that kind of music. And then I had my brother, Chris, um, who's in the Cadillac kids with a Z and, uh, <laughs> they, he, you know, he, he was like a crazy and he still is crazy, but he, he is a very eclectic music connoisseur at a time. I think when people weren't that eclectic, you know, so like, he would make me these most amazing mixtapes that that definitely shaped everything. So he would have something like Sham 69, which is like you know, British uh, 70s punk music up against Prince, up against um, like dance hall music from like yellow man oh, up against George Clinton, <laughs> like these freaking crazy mixtapes. He would make me like this, the most amazing mixtapes of like, his whole thing was like, this is good music. Like all, you know, he was able to kind of go like, okay, in bluegrass, this guy's really good. And, wow. and you know, in heavy metal, this band's good. And, you know, and so I grew up with a lot of that kind of weird influence of like anything could be good. Like, for example, in Detroit, growing up in the city of Detroit, um, there was definitely a big eye on hip hop. And it was, you know, I'm old enough where it was still kind of burgeoning. Mm -hmm. uh, like I remember going on the Bablo boat and, and yeah yeah and hearing um planet rock for the first time and that, <laughs> that literally changed my life like wow. hearing that song and i remember being a little afraid of it like it sounded kind of scary and <clears throat> but at the same time I really dug it but and then i remember playing for my brother and my brother's like oh that is craft work you know and wow. because planet rock you know kind yes. of rips off that riff you know yep. Yep. And then so then I remember being a little kid and going up to like much older like break dancers who are listening to Planet Rock <laughs> and I'd have my little shit like boombox and be like, 
hey guys, that's actually a German band called Kraftwerk. And like trying to turn them on to that. And they'd be like, yeah, it's okay. But it sounds too much like African babata. But like, no, you don't have. <laughs> that's a funny uh, so, story. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was turned into, like I was turned on to a lot of stuff, but almost with no context at the same time. Like, you know, my brother just loved music. And so he would then just throw that shit at me. And I had no context. Like, I didn't really understand what any of it meant. Like, I didn't understand, like, what hip hop culture meant versus, like, you know, their German electronics. Like, all, yeah. it just all seemed like one, possibly, to me. Like, it didn't necessarily seem like there was any history beyond it. It just, I, I recognized that they were similar and I liked it both, you know? So, I, mean, I you know, I felt like, I had that really eclectic shit always going on with, you know, at a young age. And I was probably a weird 10 year old that, really? that could get into African Mbada yeah. and I could be very much into like, um, you know, um, you know, anything that like tons of, you know, the average big band shit that everybody else likes you know, plus craft work. And, you know, like I had all that kind of stuff. You know what I kind of liked? And, and while you're talking about this, maybe think about it. Like I, I, I always appreciated that maybe in my family, people had opinions about music, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, and, and then I would, I would kind of tuck all this into my brain. Like one thing I'm remembering right now about big band music, um, and, you know, my dad loved like Artie Shaw and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, and, a f you know, I know he saw my brother's band a few times and his, his critical stuff that he told me, but I don't know if he ever told my brother was like, he's like, you know, it just sounds like they just, you know, they start a song in the middle and then they end <laughs> right after that, you know, kind of thing. he's like, in my, and he's like, if you listen to these great songs, like, you know, funny Valentine stuff. Like he's like, he's like, there's, there's a, there's an introduction, and then, and then there's, you know, he was talking about like the different parts of the song. Wow. And I know that when I started writing music, that that statement that he made about like there was an introduction. Yeah. And then this came and this came and and the fact that he kind of like critiqued my brother's music that was you know you know, he's critiquing stuff in the late 70s, early 80s, which was yeah. very uh, influenced by punk music, which sure. was kind of like, fuck all that, you know, shit beforehand about A, A, B, A, you know, whatever. Yep. We're just yep. going to go, ah, you know. <laughs> um, and, but I, you know, my, my dad always had a lot of, you know, I really respect my dad. So like, um, you know, I kind of like, even though my brother was the real musician, I kind of like, weighed whatever my dad said about music as equal as what my brother said about music. I remember my brother saying, the radio sucks, we need to buy a new one. <laughs> and and like that really influenced me a lot by me going like, fuck what's on the radio. Right. I need to go out and find like my own stuff to listen to. And then my dad, you know, saying like, hey, there's a way to like approach uh, like arranging a song. Like, wow. 
there's an there's an introduction there's a middle part there's a change you know then there's an outro and like my dad wasn't a songwriter he was really into music and like he was a drunken singer who had a beautiful voice and he would talk about you know how like maybe in the military he played a horn or something like that but Ah, and I, I really regret like he died when I was pretty young, but I really regret that I never got to like record him. He really had like the most beautiful, wow. low baritone voice I've ever heard in my life. Wow. And yeah, and it sucks. I don't think we have any recordings of that. So, but and he, he, you know, he kind of like wanted, he, he was into that kind of performance kind of thing. And so even if he didn't like what my brother was doing necessarily, because it was like punk. Like he, I think like the fact that he got on stage and like people clapped or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And like, and I was this like a very little kid in all of this. So like my brother's like probably 18 and I'm in single digits. And then my dad's probably like in his fifties at this time. And like, wow. like, and so I've always kind of like, was like, ah, this is what I do, what I do with my life. Like, this wow. is, this must be it. That is a really cool story. <laughs> yes, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. My, 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 my hands are kind of getting sweaty here. Listen to that because it just, it just takes even, I mean, my, my story is, is probably, and I won't go into it. It's not about me, but um, <laughs> has, has got some, mm-hmm. I just, some of those similar feelings about mm-hmm. family and how, you know, really how they shape you and how they shape yeah. your interests. And, and, and of course at the time you're like a knucklehead and you don't really know it, but Later on, I mean, when you look back on it with your know, time and wisdom, you're like, oh, my God, that's where it came from. Yeah. And it, really it's cool. just that, you know, I kind of and this might be too deep in a way, but I feel like growing up in like a very like uh, blue collar world, I, I don't feel like there's a lot of opinions about the arts. Yep. And so, like, I, I, I for whatever reason, those were the things I was listening for, you know, like, yeah. like those are the things that really turned me on. Like, so like if my mom or some, my mom was really into musicals and like, and, and film. And so she really like, I remember being really young and like watching 1984 with her and like her covering my eyes during certain parts. <laughs> but like, you know, like, so my mom had like this film stuff going on. My dad had like comments about music. And then I had my older brother who was kind of like dad number two, um really talking to me about music you know and like all that kind of stuff was i would say the gobbledygook that kind of like led me to like um just pursuing music as a, a venture yeah. you know whatever that might be no that that's really cool and and i guess you know again somewhat relating to to some of that upbringing i'm on my side even I mean, you're exactly right. The, uh, you know, unfortunately, growing up in that type of environment or that type of situation, you know, you're 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 kind of more focused on survival. And, oh yeah. You know, and it's I not. Still am. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, you've got like the I don't know, it's like the Maslow's hierarchy of need or whatever, but mm. you know, you're more worried about about the things that 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 you have to get through the day with. But at the same time. What, what, what I recall is that, and it sounds, it's coming through, I think with what you're saying is that the, the family kind of closes, closes ranks and, you know, it, we, we kind of take care of each other and we, and mm-hmm. we, we share things amongst each other because that's what we have. We don't have all these yeah. other things, like all the current distractions you have today. And, and, and so, you know, I think that's why, you know, family in, in, in those type of environments, not always, it's not always the same, but that's what they have. They have family. Yeah. 
So it's really interesting. No, wow. and I, I think also, you know, um, you know, there wasn't like a Spotify discovery yep. playlist or something, you know? And so like it, I, I, and I'm not very religious, although I grew up in a very religious world, but I'm not religious anymore, but I do feel blessed that like I, I had siblings that listened to like really amazing music, e even other brothers that weren't necessarily, you know, uh, influential to me in the same way my brother Chris was, who's mm -hmm. definitely, you know, he's like a musician through and through. Um, I, I had older siblings who like, the first time I ever heard the Smiths was stealing a mixtape out of my brother's room, you know, like, and it just said Smiths on it. And I was like, yeah, let's listen to this. And yeah, I was this? like, this is really good. And then I remember my brother go, like this particular brother walking. And he's like, ah, I don't even like them. He's like, one of my friends made me that tape. I don't like them. Like, I fucking love this. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep this, you know? And, I, and so I just think I was just like lucky of having like, you know, my, I had older sisters who were just into music and like everybody was like really into like, music and and so i i just got to kind of like suck all that stuff in and and they they all had their different like relationship with it. i remember i had one uh i had one brother who died unfortunately um who was who was the brother who was closest to me in age who was 10 years older than me oh my um and he had the worst music taste ever <laughs> out of, especially out of all of us like you know, during the, you know, 80s, he liked whatever was the most famous thing. So like oh, he loved Bruce, Spring Bruce Springsteen in the, you know, in the 80s. You wow. Know? wow. And, and I just remember him like kind of being like, hey, you're going to sing back up on this. We're, we're singing Born in the USA. Uh, you've got this part. I've got this part. And I, I remember being young going like, this fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> I will go along with you because my, you're my older brother, but like, this is not good, you know, wow. <laughs> but I, I do love it. Like they're all just kind of like, you know, we, I, I think we were all surrounded by people who are just, just making it. And, the, you know, for a good part of my life, I was just making, just making it like, especially during my you know ashavita and like even pascal is just like kind of getting by in life so yeah. i definitely was in like survival mode so it, it's it's hard to i i you know the arts for the most part are for it's a luxury you yep. know to yep. be able to care about that shit you know it's yep. like um and and somehow i think our family i don't know like we saw value in it even when we had <clears throat> you know nothing yeah but maybe it was like a, a hope or a wish or something. I, don't know. I think it goes back to the whole, my whole point of, you know, you, you kind of, it sounds like at least in, in your family from me, who has only known you for 45 minutes, but that <laughs> you, you know, you guys, I mean, it was kind of like, it was kind of us against them and we circled the wagons, but the one thing that was important to us in, in, in terms of your mother was obviously, you know, film and with your dad was music. And, and so, you know, it made its way into that, family construct where yeah, you know yeah. there's plenty of families where you know music is like the you know the last thing i mean we got it we got to eat we got to try and make it to yeah. work we got to do this da, da, and it just yeah. you're right luxury is a good word 
Wow. Okay. Well, this is this is taking an interesting turn. Let's talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it though because I want I like to know like where where it comes from, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that kind of sets the basis for everything. But you know, today we're gonna spend you know some time talking about that album that 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 I mentioned earlier, and we heard the opening track from uh, the album, which is in fact I for, I realized I didn't say the title of it earlier. Uh, I was raised on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Laura, which. I do want to ask you about here, but the first track yeah. we heard was uh, was the title, well, not the title track, the opening track, "The Truth Behind All the Vogue She Sold." I I freaking love it, and um, I don't know. I think it just set the tone for that thing. I did want to ask you though, where that where that title came from, and and now that we've talked a little bit about you know the religious background, so I see a little yeah. bit of that in the title, but it kind of goes beyond. So would you mind sharing? Oh yeah, no, that yeah, I that title. It was one of those weird titles that I, you know, I think during Ashavita and and then in, into Pascal, um, I always come at life with a lot a lot of humor, but I, I I was I was incredibly serious. I I think I've never been more serious in my life than when I was in those two bands, probably. Wow. So I I was I you know, but. You know, I was raised on Matthew, Mark, Luca, and Laura. That that was a weird little joke for me personally, because as as a kid, you know, I was um, you know, I didn't play any sports or anything like that. I, I was you know unathletic, overweight, you know, and I, I just like records. I didn't like really leaving my room much at all. Sure. Uh, and I was mostly raised by my mom, you know, and, and beyond, you know, siblings that kind of helped raise me. My parents split up when I was really young. And so I just, you know, I watched a lot of TV. <laughs> <laughs> and so like show, you know, things like General Hospital, sure, which is the Luke and Laura thing. Yep. Like that just, I don't know, it was maybe escapism or whatever it was. But at a very young age, it kind of just got me through life. Like I, you know, maybe I wasn't doing well in school or some kid called me fat or whatever it was. Sure. Um, You know, whatever the difficulty was, it was kind of nice, you know, turning on the TV and just kind of falling into whatever someone else's problems were, because at least they're not mine, you know? Sure. And and so uh, I really was invested into General Hospital. Wow. And this is before I was in high school. This is like grade school stuff. Sure. And, and I think my mom watched it. And so I probably, you know, we didn't have a lot of options. There was only one TV. It's not like everybody has a screen. Yep. So, you know, it was just me and my mom a lot. And so I watched whatever she watched. And Wow. So I, I watched a lot of uh, Luke and Laura stuff. <laughs> it was just the era of that. But at the same time, I was an altar boy. And, you know, from kindergarten through high school, I was actually an all Catholic school. So I went to a Catholic grade school, middle school and high school. Wow. Which, uh, one, which one, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, oh, this is uh, this is a oh, this is such a good title. I've been trying to work this into a song for years. <laughs> But my the grade school I went to is called Saint Kundagunda. No. Yeah. 
It's C-U-N-E-G-U-N-D-A. And it's on St. Lawrence Street in Detroit, Michigan. And so that's like St. Lawrence and Lanyo. I mean, this is like where we grew up. It's an old, cool neighborhood. Um, And uh, so... All, you know, all this kind of like, and, and early on, so my, my mom grew up in a, you know, a very big family, not, not unlike my own. I think she has eight siblings and they're just like hardworking people and very Catholic, <clears throat> obviously, because there's like eight or nine of them. Right. And, <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, we, we grew up in the house that my mom grew up in, you know what wow. I mean? Like, my parents bought the house that my that she, you know, my mom grew up in. So like, it was a real decrepit place by the time I lived there. <laughs> my my, bro, my my older siblings had it better, but like, for whatever reason, by the time like, I was kind of awake and cognizant of like the world, like I was like, damn, like this is not a great neighborhood. And it's, not, <laughs> it's not great. But so there, there's all that weird, religious stuff mixed up in like just my after school television watching which was a lot of like you know soap operas did you, <laughs> so did I, you that's all you know to me I I and I was very aware of it when I when I came up with the title for the record was you know and that Pascal every single song I wrote I think maybe except for the Vogue's that the Vogue song, yeah. like every single one was like completely gut-wrenchingly autobiographical. Yeah. Like, and it took me forever to write all of them because they were just like, just so like every single word I committed that they needed to like have value and like meaning in my life. And it was like this big burden I put myself through. But so by the time we were able to like have a whole collection of songs together that we call an album. And when I was trying to think of a title, for whatever reason, all of that, that, that kind of smashing together of all the religious bullshit school and things I've learned mixed up with all the weird pop culture shit. I also was affected by like should be somehow the overarching meaning of this work and so that that's kind of how that title came about wow is that why <laughs> is, is that why i mean is that one of the reasons it, it took so long to come out after the eps yeah i mean there's yeah yeah um there's a lot of reasons why yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. That was a later question, but I guess I'll ask yeah. you now. I mean, one of the things I was, I, I've never been prolific. I, it, you know, I've never been able just to spit it out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is because, you know, I'm a little bit precious about everything, you know? Sure. So it, it's, it's not only like every freaking sentence I utter vocally, but it's also the sound of the hi-hat. Yeah. Or it's like, does the, you know, does the bass have a certain amount of like 30 hertz that feels <laughs> right in your butt? You know, like, <laughs> you know, and it's like worrying about like all these, all the sonic details, all the, 
you know, all the kind of um, lyrical details, even like historical details. Like I, I, I really started getting into a bit of a head game where I did feel like I was, you know, I like all of the American canon of music um, is what I'm up against and what I have to like, I, I'm trying to add to this. And so if I wanna to add to this, I need to do something interesting. And so I can't just spit it out. And so I, I did feel like I was always kind of setting myself up for like the most difficult task. Like I couldn't just do like a three minute fucking song, <laughs> you know? that said like i love you so much i love you yeah yeah we're done (laughs) and so yeah all all that stuff through pascal was and i i you asked some question about well maybe you didn't i don't know but like there was there's an interesting transition of like i remember recognizing that most people start off very poppy and then they fucking blow shit up and yep crazy and weird and whatever it's like i love you yeah 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 to like number nine you know (laughs) and i feel in my life i you know at least with asha vita to pascal i kind of went number nine to i love you yeah 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 in a way like we started off or you know i started off in my kind of public musical life trying to figure out like a new language of music Mm -hmm. and like really being like, I don't want to do first chorus, first chorus, you know, middle eight, whatever. Like I want to like, I've been very OCD and odd, like in a way about all this stuff. I, you know, with Ashvita, I got really into ridiculous minutia of music about, how two notes relate to one another. Like <laughs> it was getting fucked up. Like yeah. that, that band had to end because I was almost, what's that? Is it called pointillism, you know, in, in like art where yep. they start doing like the most, like these little microscopic things into the, you know, into a, a big, I, I was into that microscopic stuff. Like I was getting so crazy. Oh my goodness. Um, that like, that band had to end because I was trying something that, or I felt like there was a burden on me to re- reinvent like what a song could be. And I remember oh being so stupid or naive. I actually thought like I could be a pop star and completely upset how a song should be structured and presented to the world. Like, I really thought like, there's a chance for me to have like superstardom because as when you're young, you think like there's pop stardom as a possibility. But like my goal was to like figure out some new form of, and, and thinking, you know, I was pretty blinded, like thinking like, and if I could just come up with this new form, that then that would lead, you know, instead of going like, hey, this is what's popular now, I should probably just try my best at that and see what I can do. I was like, I want to completely upset, like, <laughs> and like, we got really wild. So we, we started out where we were writing songs and they're very elaborate and there was vocals and stuff. 
And then it got to where I was like, ah, I don't even want, like, there's, there's no, not even a place for my voice here. It's just, oh my. I, I'm wrestling with an A sharp to an F right now. So <laughs> just, like, that's what I'm working. <laughs> no, there's no place for anything else. So it kind of got to such a stupid place almost where that, that, that band had to end. I'm still friends with a good number of the guys that were, were in that band, luckily. Yeah. But I, you know, I probably don't deserve to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, you know, and I, and I get that you brought it up that, you know, you kind of approached it the opposite of, of like your Beatles example. I mean, was it, was it conscious to say I have to like exercise all of that Ashavita stuff out of me? And the only way to do that is to go like as pop as I can. I mean, like, like what was the mindset? Um, no, no, no. I, you know, so I, after graduating high school, I think kind of that's when I, a year or two out of that, that's when we started Ashavita. And I don't know, like for whatever reason, I, I can't believe that that's how we started, but we just started with like, so Eric Petey was one of the guys yep. in Ashavita. He's now in a, a group called Jura, J-U-R-A. And he, he he's a fine artist and he's still a very fine artist. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he, he, he was very influential just, and, and from his talking about the art world, like the, you know, painting and all that stuff like all his talking about that kind of influenced us very quickly about how we should approach the band and he you know he was just into like really like left field stuff like fluxus and yeah you know all, all this crazy shit and so like we kind of i felt like we went there with the with with the band and like it just felt really natural like if you're going to do something musically like um why, why not do something that new like yep. why, why not do something new? and then you're like shit it's really hard to do something new and so <laughs> it, it it was really exhaustive like trying to do something new and i think like so we started out really trying to write something interesting and you know compose new music and then we got to a point where we were like, you know, the best way to do this is like music in the moment. So it, it just very quickly turned to like all out improvisational music. Whoa. And it was so wonderful. Like that, I, 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 I miss that actually. Yeah. It, was, it was such an amazing thing to just, we would play big shows like, and you know, big for Detroit. Like we 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 played, you know, we opened for like the Pale Saints and Swerve oh, wow. Driver and um High Llamas and I don't know, just a bunch of like interesting bands. And we never had a set list. We would just Whoa. fucking get up there, you know, red house painters, and we would just do whatever do whatever came to us. We had oh, no fucking it wasn't even like jazz, like jazz, they have heads. Like they're like, you know, <laughs> they have some riff they go on. Literally, like I would just like look at Eric and or he would look at me or maybe Jesse, our drummer, Jesse Rafferty, who's also in uh, Pascal. Uh, maybe he'd start playing something and we would just kind of like bounce off of that. And so like, that was such a badass, amazing thing. Like where we would play in front of like hundreds and hundreds of people and we had nothing ready for them. 
Oh my God. And it I, gives me anxiety just thinking about it. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> I could still do it today. Maybe like I, it, it, it is like, like, I think you can do it. I think, you know, I remember hearing, I, I don't know who said it, but I remember, you know, it might've been one of the guys from Cannes or something like that, but they were talking about like experimental music and he was like, He's like, I experiment before you hear it. Like, he's like, my music is not experimental. By the time you hear it, it's not experimental. Like, all my experimenting is like early in the process of seeing what might work, what might be a song. And like, I felt we were just doing that in front of people. And it was just, it was the most wonderful thing ever. Like, I, I love doing that. So we did that for a number of years. And, you know, I don't know, like I started, and then I started getting into like that hyper like focused of like well how does this note relate to this note like it's starting like a little crazy (laughs) and i i just made some weird thing whereas i i'm a huge prince fan so all along in all of this the very first record i ever bought was 1999 by prince so I, you know, and I bought that when I was eight years old. Oh my That's gosh. what a fucking badass I am. Wow. And I got to see him during um, the uh, Purple Rain tour. So wow. that was my first concert. So, um, so there's always been like Prince has been like a really huge person in my life where I felt like I had like learned all these instruments and like, you know, and I'm like, okay, at like guitar, bass, drums, keys, but I'm like, not great at any of them. But I felt like, okay, Prince did all this stuff. I need to figure out all this stuff as well. Huh. I, I didn't, I've, I wouldn't have made the print, the Prince record mm. or the Prince connection. But now that you yeah. say that, I totally see it. Not just in, in the fact that you obviously play a lot of the instruments, but the fact that, you know, you were just so involved in the recording and I'm sure the production and engineering. And I mean, that's now I see it and, Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't see Prince, you know, Prince has come up twice now. I think, I think Prince was big with the push Kings too. So maybe we have a Prince uh, connection. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Prince was probably my very first, you know, dude. I was just like, in love with musically yeah. and then and then it was probably like morrissey and then and then we get to like you know scott walkers and sure. all this stuff but like my you know very young it was probably like prince and then in high school probably morrissey and then though however those like those things didn't necessarily work together yeah right but you know they they made some weird sense and they still make a lot of sense to me today for whatever reason <laughs> wow huh. you know before we go too much further i want to listen to another track here and um it, it's dearest Bern- is it bernard or that's how you want to say it. bernard living right dearest bernard living yes okay and cool. it's, it's real quick just so you know yeah uh it's bernard levine levine i had a feeling there was something i was missing yeah i got a little scared uh and this is interesting maybe um so Pascal had a song called Poor Maud. Oh. And Poor Maud, I wrote after uh, watching the news one night. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like the local news, like yep. seven or something like that. Sure. We still and have I it know, here. <laughs> I, I think, I know there's a, in, in the lyrics, there's something action news, whatever, whatever yep. the action news was. I think that was literally what I saw. But there's a news story about like a, a sweet little lady named Maud who 
was 115 and like the news stories about her being that old and it was a celebration and you know isn't this great and then they they turn the camera on her and um i just remember feeling like gutted because she looked miserable yeah. she looked she looked very shriveled up and she looked almost like all the noise in the room was bothering her and i was just like you you guys are all celebrating her being this old but i'm not sure if if, if she's feeling the same right. so i wrote that song and um you know it's just it was just a bunch of stuff like it, I've, a lot of times during pascal i was writing about like a lot of detroit things i was yep. writing about my family and and that one i think i had maude jumping off the penobscot building with me <laughs> i think we jumped off the penobscot building one of those buildings downtown i forgot which but um you know whatever and I, it was just like it was a bit like whatever was coming to me i was committing to the paper and then tape and um when that song came out out of nowhere i couldn't even believe it one of the the a relative of the mod i wrote about oh my reached out to me and said like hey i heard your song and i know it's about my aunt and i want to let you know she didn't have that miserable life that you that you know like <laughs> you know and i remember being like wow okay i want to have a conversation with this person and talk to her and um i reached out to our label and you know matthew jackson one of my oldest dearest friends <laughs> He was being sued by like everybody because oh. the Momus record at the yep. time. Yep. And he said, Hey, listen, I know you want to reach out to her and I know you want to have a conversation and things like that, but I don't know. We've, we've, we're currently going through so much stuff. <laughs> and, you know, he's just a kid basically too. Like, I don't even know oh, if he's yeah. 30 at this time. Sure. He's like, I don't, he's like, I don't know if that would be a smart move to like reply to her because we're dealing with all this stuff and it went really in a different direction than we thought it would go. You know, they're being sued by Walter. Uh, um, oh, I'm so sorry. Like uh, Wendy. Thank you. Wendy, yep. Wendy Carlos Williams. Um, and, and he's like, you know, I, I just, I couldn't do another one. Like I, yeah. I'm like, okay, okay, go. So I always feel really guilty that I didn't reach back out to her and to kind of explain my, you know, it was just like a bit of an inspiration. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to tell her life or anything. It just, to me, just, you know, the little bit I saw just kind of had some, you know, it just, it, it had some ramification in what I knew about life and, you know, and it wasn't really about Maud or, you know, her aunt or anything like that. It's probably more about like my own experience with life. But, and so I'd love to connect with her about that, but, you know, you know, she was like, or Matthew was like, I'm not saying you can't, I'm just saying, <laughs> like we're really up against some crazy stuff and yeah. so I, I don't know if it's a good idea so i did um and why am i talking about this because of dearest bernard levine oh dearest bernard levine <laughs> well bernard levine 
was a college professor of mine at Wayne State University. Oh. Yeah. And I, um, I you know, when I, but it's, by, by the time I was able to go to college, so I, I went to a, a weird, I don't know if it's weird, but I went to Catholic Central. Oh, yeah. And it was one of those kind of things that kind of lifted me out of my neighborhood and showed me like maybe what the world was like. And I remember meeting people that had like a room that was, you know, just for a piano. Right. I was like, I could fit two cousins in here. You know, like, <laughs> um, and it just kind of like really opened up my, my mind. Like, wow, the world's, world's so different. And, um, and so that was Catholic Central. And um, Bernard Levine was at Wayne State. And I just, you know, I, when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I did see just like intellectual value into like learning as much as I can because I thought I, I really went to college because I thought it would help me with my lyrics it's <laughs> such a fucking stupid thing especially when you have nothing to fall back on right you know, my dad was a fireman my mom didn't work and it's like I had nothing to fall back on so uh it's kind of a crazy thing but I remember thinking like I want to go to college because I could learn more about the world learn more about literature and stuff like that. And so I, I remember I um, took a class on romantic poetry or something. And um, I had this amazing professor, his name Bernard Levine. And there was about 15 people in the room. So not, not a huge class. This is at Wayne State. And he said, hey, I know you guys all signed up for like modern poetry to 20th century, whatever it was called. He's like, but I'm not really interested in that. <laughs> He's like, I care about Shelley and I care about Yates. And like, he was wow. talking about all these people he cared about. He's like, so, He's like, if anything, I'm going to teach a class about how these poets affected 20th century, you know, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm down with that. Yeah. And literally the 15 people went down to maybe four. Or five. <laughs> this is what we signed up for. <laughs> no. And I think I mentioned all of them in the song, like the seed and whatever, like I mentioned all of them in the song. And like, so that song is like about him. And like, I was, he was, you know, I come from a very blue collar world. So the idea of intellectualism and like guys wearing tweed uh, sport coats with suede, um elbow patches for whatever reason were really exotic and it really turned me on as a you know it was like this aspirational thing yeah yeah something and, something you didn't you didn't actually live but you know yeah looked, yeah look I, I, you know, I completely understand what you're saying i'm wearing a tweed coat right now there you we know? go there and we it's go. it's probably from you know not it, it's probably from his inspiration a bit and Maybe so it is <laughs> it could be his as a matter of fact i don't i don't have the um the elbow patches and oh. completely frayed but oh. but uh bernard levine had a really interesting story and he was kind of like the oldest associate prof professor you ever ran into so i don't know why he was around 60 i think wow 
and he was still an associate professor. He wrote one book about Yates <laughs> called The Fading Image, and I bought it. Um, and I'm probably like one of 800 people that own that book. Right. Um, and I just was like in awe of him. And he was so fucking into like the, the performance of, of poetry. So like he would um, read poetry and have us read poetry and want us to do it in like such a performative way that I never even knew was possible. You know, like it was just like this very, you know, it was almost like being in a play or something like that. And I never thought about poetry like that. Like where, when he would read it, like he would take on characters and he would even like change his accent. <laughs> and like, he had a unique accent. He was, he was East coast, maybe Boston or something. He went to Brown oh, wow. and a couple other like East coast, like Harvard kind of schools. Yeah. I don't remember what, but I know Brown was one of them. And, and the other thing was, do you know who Dave Siegel is? Heck yeah. Yeah. And so Dave Siegel also had him. And so Dave, I've always really loved it. So Dave Siegel was like kind of a bit of a champion, maybe just still today, of Ashavita. And like oh, yeah. we, we were kids and he was like an older, I mean, he's not that much older, but he felt like much older. And he was a guy that was like writing for, I forgot, alternative press or something. I don't know what, but, you know, he was like, writing about our band when we were young and um so i've just remained friends with him but when i was going there i remember talking to him about the song and like he knew he you know, him and his brother michael siegel who i did become friends with who was in um majesty crush yep. that Ashvita, we, we you know some of our first gigs were opening for them uh we thought they were like you know i don't know bruce springsteen or something. We, we thought they were there was nobody was bigger here at the time. No, they were so fucking amazing. Yeah. Like I remember playing with them one of the first shows and like we're all backstage and like, oh dudes, we gotta go on. And literally everybody except Michael, I think, took off their shirt. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> do we have to take our shirts off? <laughs> yeah, and I was in no place to do that. So uh that was amazing. But anyway, so I remember Dave Siegel. It must have been, I think it was after the fact that I wrote that song, but like, you know, he was like, hey, you know, that, that was my professor too. And I know him. And he's like, you know, fun fact, it's not fun, but his, oh, no, this is before I wrote the song. He's like, his wife, I believe, and this is this from Dave Siegel telling me, he's like, I think his wife committed suicide by laying on train tracks Whoa. outside of Ann Arbor. And so all that fucking went into those lyrics of that Whoa. song. I mean, I was so enamored with him and like, just kind of like what he meant to me about, I don't know, being an artist and like, there was no such thing as being an artist in the neighborhood I grew up in. So like all of it was like super exotic. And so like hearing some teacher talk about these amazing poets like Percy Shelley and all, all the Byron and all the stuff. And about like, they just seem like I was into them the same way that people are into like plastic man and like iron man and all these kind of things. Like, like they just seem like fantastic characters that probably couldn't exist in real life, but I was like way the fuck into their life. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was so far from yours, you know. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, but it just seemed yeah. so amazing and right. cool. Let's listen to this song because, I mean, again, I only pick one, two, three, four, five tracks from the album. This is one of the ones that I picked out. So let's go ahead and give Dearest Bernard Levine a listen. Dearest Bernard Levine, no, I don't think you will remember me sitting in your classroom. Romantics 203, I was struck such a lines sounding English and refined it got me every time now I can't see why you remember me stumbling over Queen Mad and old chatted in her very sad was it fate but that's so Progress. 
All right. That was uh, great to hear. And, and, and frankly, Craig, I love the story about your professor. I think, you know, hearing these these stories behind these songs, particularly yours, because there's so much like personal narrative. And like you said, you kind of you kind of obsess over every part of it that when you hear the backstory behind it, it's like it just comes to life. And um, that's really, really, really cool. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the artwork and. You know, mm. I, I love it. I love that. I love that Matthew's been kind of he's re-energized his Instagram and he's kind of showing wow, up. It's amazing, isn't it? It is oh, like it's almost too much. It's, it's almost too much. much. It's almost like I I almost can't like like shit enough. Like there's, <laughs> there's so much that I did it. You know, Matthew is probably the most interesting person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I would and, agree. And I love that he has amazing archives. I, I actually didn't know that he kept all this stuff. I know. It's amazing. I mean, just yeah. even like, like every, it's funny because of, I'm sure as, as the algorithm works on Instagram, like every time I like one of his things, I just get more of his things, but yeah. like, I don't want to miss any of it. Like, I know. it's so I know. good. It's and and he was quiet for so long. So I know it's, it's a bit wild. I'm like, what, what the hell? I, mean, I I get it here and there from just hanging out with him, but like, yeah, he really, he's he, you know, he's the most amazing, interesting fella I've ever met. You know, yeah. as as somebody that I haven't I haven't seen personally in probably oh my goodness, twenty some years, I yeah. still feel like like. Besides the fact that he and I spoke for like three hours one night. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just it, easy, it, very easily done. Oh yeah. my gosh, it was there was so, and, and like I couldn't stop. There was just so much like I know everything was like so detailed and, or and just interesting and um, which I'm kind of getting the feeling this one's the same way. Um, <laughs> but what was I saying here? Oh, but but it seems like his name and and his whether it's his imagery or something he said or did kind of comes up like in me every day it's so yeah. weird and uh, he's just one of those type of people you well know? i mean in a way like i mean in the way you know so i i've listened to a number of your podcasts and like you you come at it as like a very passionate uh committed fan of music and matthew is no different right yep. and so yep. he like that's the exact kind of person that I'd love to, you know, run a record label. And, yeah. and there, there's, there's a bunch of, there are a bunch of people like that at the independent level of like, you know, music labels. Uh, but he's just one of those amazing people. He, he just really freaking loves music and he he's a, wants to be a champion of things. And, you know, he, I, he, he not only knows things deeply, he knows the people behind them intimately, yeah. you know? And so that's, it's just extra unique. And yeah, I don't know. He's got so many great stories that he told you, oh. but that he still needs to tell. I'm <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> you, need, you need like a part three and four. I'm sure. <laughs> I, yeah, I probably have three and four that I ended yes. out. Yeah. <laughs> there was so much. I think we we got into like, you know, how you can use like, and I wasn't even really following, but that's kind of like how I feel sometimes when I'm talking to him. But like he was getting into how maybe like, you know, crypto and how it can be used. I'm not even <laughs> sure I understand it, but like how you can attach songs to the blockchain. And I'm going, yeah, okay. Oh, fuck. 
Yeah. And, I, and I'm like, oh my God. Like, I, I don't even know like what to ask because I don't really understand what he's talking about. Uh, uh, yeah. He's, a, yeah. He's really well, interesting. He, he, the, the things that we've done with him so many years ago, they, I mean, it, stuff still pops up. Like, you know, I think it was 2021, maybe 2020. Like, there was a Netflix show that was on um oh that the jonas brothers produced uh-huh. called dash and lily uh-huh. <laughs> like somehow matthew was like hey i think you should use pascal's you know whatever for this and like <laughs> he he's so connected and involved but it's it's this weird place where he he's always doing it from this deep love of music and the artists that he knows. Um, But he finds ways to kind of get their music heard, notice, recognize, paid for, whatever it is. Like, you know, that that's a certain weird magic that he has. Like where, you know, all the people that he loves, he really tries to have other people love them and or pay them for what they've done. <laughs> that is so cool. And that's so cool. Like he mentioned that I think during the interview was that mm. that was part of like what kept him going was to support the artists. I mean, it wasn't about making money or, or becoming famous or I mean, it was like it was like getting that music out there. So, yeah, regarding uh, regarding Matthew Jacobson, the imagery for the record, you know, I love it. Super distinctive. And, and I know like we were we were kind of alluding to that. He's um he's kind of revived his Instagram and he's kind of showing some of the outtakes, which I just frankly loved of you and your kids and everything. Were, yeah. how, how involved were, were you in that concept for the artwork or was that all Matt? Like how'd that come about? Well, you know, um, Kevin Boyle, who is known as Gene Corduroy and uh, <laughs> Pascal, um, you know, he's an artistic fellow. And so on all the early releases, he was always the designer. Okay. And, you know, if anything, maybe he and I would be like, kind of like co-creative directors on all, all the EPs. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I don't remember all the names of the EPs for some reason. Like uh, the one right before the, the album, was the one that we weren't pictured on. You know, it's uh, funny. I don't have the. I have. Oh, honey, we're ridiculous in the handbag oh, memoir. I think that's it. Is right that now. it? I think that's it. But, you're so that's, the, but you. But you guys are on the cover of both. So the uh, one I didn't grab is the one we're talking about. Okay, and then okay. So the other thing that we would there was a little game I started playing where I would name a future. I I, I would take like oh honey we're ridiculous, knowing that would end up on some future release ah. and I would name it the currently release. Wow. And, and that was because it always took me forever to finish everything. So <laughs> I, I would know like, okay, I'm really loving this song, but it's nowhere close to being finished, but I really like the title of it. So that would be good for this current EP release. So yeah, whatever is after Oh Honey, We're Ridiculous. It's the one where there's a, a woman. Yeah, dear. A, oh, yeah, dear yeah, sir. Dear sir. That's it. Yeah. And so that one, I didn't have much. Like, so the earlier ones, it was kind of like me and Kevin figuring out 
like what the imagery would be. And um, Matthew was always, he, you know, he, you know, Matthew really cares about cover art and all that kind of stuff. And yep. so he, he always had some um, uh, influence on it. But the, the first couple ones, like we literally took the, you know, the photo or we had a friend of ours, like take the photo. And uh, I think the first couple ones had like semi-nude people on there. Uh, they and, do actually. I'm looking yes, at them now. Yes. And those were close friends of ours, you know, that we talked into being semi-nude. <laughs> uh, and so that was that. And then I, Kevin and his girlfriend, now wife, Bem, uh b-e-m amy bam mm -hmm. uh they moved to new york and so there's this kind of weird period where some of us were, were in detroit some of us were in um new york and kevin met a great designer um uh, that ended up kind of art directing that photo and then like you know kind of creative directing it as well like making it what it was um, and so I think that that one, dear sir, um, Matthew didn't have a lot to do with, and I didn't have a lot to do with it. And and I, I remember I was actually kind of fighting for it because at, I was really into the idea of like I always wanted us on the cover, mm -hmm. you know. And so um, I, I actually got into a you know an argument with Kevin. I, I, I do really like the cover. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but I, I remember getting a bit of an arg argument with him about it because, like, I just like the idea of us always, us doing everything. I really wanted, like, there was, um, you know, Kevin was like a graf graphic designer. So is Amy Bam. Um, I was a total back alley version of that. <laughs> um, our basis, um, Matthew Bustamante, who is uh, Nathaniel Burgundy. Uh, he's a great illustrator. And so I was always like, let's just all do our own shit. Like, I really love the idea of just us doing our own thing, like all, all of it DIY. And I was never into punk, but I, I could be influenced by that punk aesthetic of like, we recorded everything ourselves. Like I built my own studio to record all of our shit. I figured all of like, you know, how to EQ and how to mic a drum set and whatever else was involved. Like I, I you know, figured all that out. And I knew in our first two releases, we did most of the cover art and all that kind of stuff. And so I always loved the idea of just like, let's just all, let's do everything. Like we, we have so many amazing creative people in our band. Let's just do everything. And on that release, we didn't. And, and Dear Sir, Sir, in a way, was kind of like the beginning of the end a bit in that it was all, you know, there started to be kind of like um, factions of like, oh, you know, I want to yeah. do it this way. Well, we want to do it this way. And yeah. like, and and that's kind of when that started to happen. And, you know, the crazy thing about that, the actual song, Dear Sir, was it was an Asha Vita way to do a song. Like, it was the only time Pascal ever got in a room and said, like, let's make up a song today. And 
because otherwise a lot of times most pascal songs i would write the songs for like you know 95 percent of the time i'd figure out the song i write it and a lot of times i would you know do a little demo that would be maybe bass drums guitar and voice and then present it to the band and then the band would then take it and do whatever they want you know like jesse who's an amazing drummer would like take my little shit drum beat and like make something amazing out of it you know and so and so forth and same thing with bustamante with the bass you know, you'd take my basic bass line and then do something amazing with it and so and so forth but um, with the song Dear Sir, that was probably the one time that we ever did something like an Ashavita thing. And I think we were talking about it almost of like, let's just see what we can do. Let's just make up a fucking song on, spot, on, on the spot because I knew it could be done. But at the same time, we were painting over like uh, arrangements and all this other kind of stuff. And so it was an amazing day. I remember it was at Panic's house, which is... Gerald Wasser, who's um, Richard Panic. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yep. I, uh, I I am committed to loving that guy until the day he dies. He's, he's a great guy. He was such a great spirit to have in a band, and I didn't want him in the band because I knew him before before I didn't really know him, but before Pascal, I remember him being a crazy ass guy at shows who would be the kind of guy that would like bump into you when you're like you know do you know the guys who like they'd be like really into a band and like be non-stop bumping into you yeah yeah it's their was, show yeah everybody else just happens that, to be that, there. that was yeah, yeah like he changed you know he grew up very fast but like he was that guy so i really didn't like him but he was such a great spirit to have in the band like he was just like excited and happy and just such a wonderful person to have a band. But we we recorded that in his basement, I think. And I and I was always the recorder. So I, I just like set up my set up my computer and and just captured whatever happened that night. And you know we went about it as kind of like an Ashabita thing like we're gonna improvise a song. And like that was the only time we ever did anything all in the same room all at the same time and then i actually did the vocals and and lyrics and all that stuff at that same moment like we we kind of did the music and then within an hour i had the vocals and music and i i, I don't ever do that shit like and, and how do you feel about that out the output i mean how do you feel about the end result having done it so different i th- I, I think it's great like yeah. I, you know that um it it wasn't incredibly pascalish no but it it was me and i wrote you know because i did write a lot of the songs it it made a really good sense to me and the band was so like into it that it was all of us at that moment Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like even if it was even if it didn't sound like what we did previously like uh, Jesse, who's the drummer, it, it made sense between me and him a lot. Like that's that that's how we used to always make music in Ashvita. So, um, you know, doing Pascal was like um, a- after kind of, like going through Pascal was like this boot camp of, of music. <laughs> it was a very crazy way 
to approach music. Like I was never in a band that did covers and then kind of learned how songs were written. And then you start writing your own and then give that a go. Like Pascal was fucking crazy. We we're like, before we even really knew what the rules were, we we're like, you know what? We think the rules might be this, but fuck those rules. You know, like it was insane. It made no and so then we, you know, we spent years, you know, kind of focused on that. And so I, I, I would just make a joke and this comes back to the Prince thing. I remember making a joke and I remember telling people like, do you know who Dion is from like UFO and Godzilla? Oh, yeah. Outrageous Cherry or no? I don't know if he's that. You know, back then he was Godzuki when I knew. Oh, him. Godzuki! I'm sorry, you're right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And which would be a good, you know, they'd be good to talk to. Very much. But so. um, um, I, I I remember just like he 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 would kind of be trying to be like talking to me like, and him and I try to do things a couple times together. I was so committed to trying to do something different and uh, that I was a really bad collaborator because like, <laughs> I I mean, it, it's embarrassing, Brian, where I, I, I would be like, we shouldn't do any chords that anybody has ever done before. <laughs> you know, but I was so stupid about music. I didn't even, you know, I, I thought that was a possibility. Right. Like, like, hey, Dion, let's, Let's make a song with no 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 human conceived chords. Yeah. And so I was a really bad I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Vinyl Detroit Podcast, where I spoke with Craig Badini of Pascal. Remember, this was only part one of a two-part discussion with Craig. So I urge you to flip on over to the next episode where we pick up where we left off speaking about his band's 2008 record, I Was Raised on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Laura.